What is up, movie friends? Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. I'm Anthony. This is James, and today, for the upcoming holiday of Valentine's Day, we're going to do some romance and relationship films, specifically the new film Malcolm and Marie, The Notebook, Titanic, and Silver Linings Playbook. I like all of these movies because they're 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 love stories, yes, but they're complicated. They're not rosy. They're not they're not always happy, and some have difficult endings and complex endings. And so that's why I think it was a good selection to choose from. And obviously, The Notebook's probably the most famous one. Titanic is one of the biggest films ever made. Silver, Lin- Silver Linings Playbook is one of the one of my favorite David O. Russell movies. A fantastic director. Malcolm and Marie just came out on Netflix and was phenomenal. It blew me away. Yeah, all these movies are basically their own genres, too. They're different genres from one another, and the tones are totally different. And, you know, it tells uh, the story of of love and relationships in different ways. And the thing with love is sometimes it's awesome and sometimes it sucks. And, you know, I like movies that don't stray away from the latter part because so many Hollywood, like, romantic comedy movies, it's always like it works out and um, it's the same kind of structure and storyline and characters. And it all gets, it's a lot of fluff. And it doesn't feel authentic or realistic or or truthful to real life and real relationships. And I think um, uh, I like movies like Silver Linings especially uh, because it's so uh, believable for how relationships can can be. And and movies like Blue Valentine show like collapses of relationships. And so I think there are a lot of great films about love that aren't necessarily romantic, but they have. The depiction of love in a great way. Yeah, actually, it's great you brought that up because there's there's two films in this list that are very realistic in terms of the dialogue and the circumstances of the relationships and, and the heartaches like Silver Linings and Malcolm and Marie. Very realistic dialogue. Malcolm and Marie reminds me of a lot of the Before Sunrise films. Incredible realistic situations. And then uh, The Notebook and Titanic, obviously fantastical. Titanic obviously really happened, but, you know, this love story happening on board. And then The it Notebook. The Notebook is just like... <laughs> the Notebook is just... The most grandiose story, love story ever told in modern fiction, probably. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to point it. Uh, to that's a great way to put it. And I would say, like, the Notebook is the quintessential romance movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm gonna tear that thing apart. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's good. The best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron of our show. Go to Patreon.com/slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You can support us with a two dollar, five dollar, or ten dollar donation. Each tier comes with specific perks like personalized messages video messages sneak peeks at upcoming episodes behind the scenes and top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast which we just did last episode make sure to subscribe on youtube follow us on spotify apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts leave those five star reviews and thank you so much for listening and, and watching uh, i figure we'll start off with malcolm and marie since it's so new it's so hot um and so hot. we just watched it like an hour ago and so we're, we're fresh on that so i feel like maybe maybe start with that what do you think i think that malcolm and marie was a really great uh film to come out during uh lockdown um because it was the first american film during film during lockdown and um the producers and filmmakers obviously met every precaution that's why they were able to make it but they shot it in one location uh, in, in three weeks and i love films that are set in one environment and you generally take place within like one situation. Like this is just like lo- one long scene um, because we experience like films, are, scenes are only a few minutes long on average, the average scene in a movie. And so when you see uh, this is, this whole film is basically one situation. Yeah. And I like films like that. Like you mentioned the before sunrise trilogy, all of those movies, um, they're not one moment like this, but they're one day in the lives of those two people. So this is a, a very similar structure. And I think it really brings you into the the characters more than any other film does because there isn't a plot. It's more about the relationship than anything else. And that's why I think uh, I had a really great job, great, t- great time watching this movie because it felt like it was a real relationship. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm and Marie was written, directed by Sam Levinson, who uh, you probably might recognize his work. He's the creator of that show, Euphoria, which is very popular. And uh it's about a director and his girlfriend's relationship is being tested after they, re- they return home from his movie premiere and await critics' responses. And phenomenally acted by just two actors, two characters, this whole movie, uh, John David Washington and Zendaya. Phenomenal performances. And don't let the 58% on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm sure it'll change in the next 24 hours, for Metacritics, hours. too. It's, but, it's um, 53 Metacritics. This movie is exceptional. It really is. It blew me away. I was very surprised at how good it was. And... Critics clearly can't handle being roasted. They can't handle criticism because Sam Levinson, he went after them hard in this movie multiple times, taking big blows at critics. And I really loved it because this movie, it's it's provocative. It's realistic. 
Um, it's beautifully filmed, uh, black and white on film, a lot of handheld shots, a lot of a great cinematography, um, beautiful location, this great house in Malibu. It's very emotional. And the dialogue, it's it's so realistic and and it sounds like every argument or fight or bickering argument you've ever gone into a with a significant other or or like near a breakup with a with a spouse or significant other. So I found it very relatable. Yeah, and this movie it isn't romantic. It has ro uh, bits of romance and bits of affection between the characters in it sprinkled within. But the, essentially, this movie is about the penultimate moment before a breakup. I would say, although it is a bit of an ambiguous ending, but I would say like. This is the moment that leads to a breakup, and I think uh, if you've ever been in, in a serious relationship there and it, that doesn't work out, we've all been in these situations, and uh, it, it's tough because we we don't want to talk about them too much, and it can be a really harsh moment in your life when uh, you and a significant other have to end ties because it's just not working out, but that's what dating is, and that's what relationships are, and this, is an, this film shows an example of two people in a relationship, but one person does not feel right in the relationship anymore while one person is fine with it and that's what happened with these characters and it led to this um, uh, chaotic situation on this one evening where they both come to the realization that maybe it's not going to work out. Malcolm the character has just premiered uh, his first feature film and it's a big success and and Sam Levinson brilliantly like shows you the mood of both characters in their space of their relationship and Obviously, Malcolm's very excited. He comes home. He's dancing. He's drinking. He's he's doing this all alone while Zendaya's character Marie is basically showing you with her nonverbal, a great nonverbal acting by Zendaya, um, how displeased she is with the situation with the relationship. He shows you right off the bat that there's something wrong with this relationship, and it could be the end of it. Probably in this in, in this altercation. Yeah, and Malcolm is uh, very much aloof about her feelings, and he obviously can't interpret from her body language and her lack of enthusiasm in communicating with him in that moment how she really feels. And the reason why she feels this way is that uh, this was the, a big moment for their relationship, not just the film. And it was a moment that Malcolm flubbed because when he um, got up and thanked everyone um, for the film in front of the audience, he thanked everyone imaginable except for Marie. And she was... That's all she ever wanted from him, acknowledgement and um, a thank and, and to be thankful for having her in his life. And uh, when the moment came, he never he didn't do it. And so I think it, the entire relationship, she was waiting for this moment for him to acknowledge her in a deep way. And he didn't do it. So that ended up, I think, making her decide in this night, like, I'm not going to be with you anymore. Yeah, there's a few things that crop up into her unhappiness with the relationship or, or her unhappiness with Malcolm and and. Sam Levinson does a great job, like, th thinking back to any argument or disagreement or fight I've ever had with an ex or a significant other, and it's sort of this balance of back and forth between who has the power in the conversation and who loses the power in the conversation, and, and, take, and they both separate times just, like, go cool off and just think to themselves, and they come back with something else to get the power back in the situation and get the power back in the conversation to kind of keep steering it in their direction to sort of win these arguments, win these debates, win these fights and relationships to kind of be the person on top of, and who kind of wins it all, and he, he does it so well, and... And another reason why Marie's so upset with Malcolm because she believes that a lot of the inspiration of the character in the film that he made is based off her personal life and her experiences. And that's kind of something we learn about halfway through the film. Yeah, they keep revealing different things um, because what happens in relationships a lot, and it's really well de depicted well in this, is that you don't always voice your concerns and you don't always voice things that you don't like um, because you don't want to offend the other person. You don't want to risk causing a fight and so a lot of people they try to avoid confrontation they want to avoid fights and um disagreeable moments and so uh, i think what happened with these two characters is they both held on to so many um, pent up moments that brought anger within them and uh they built resentment towards each other over time that obviously we didn't see but they were it's just um, exploding out in this night but obviously these two people have been keeping things to themselves that they have been wanting to voice for a long time, but have just been polite instead, rather than starting um, confrontations in the relationship. And I think um, it happens a lot in relationships. And then it always reaches a, reaches a point where it just bursts out. And it unfortunately with the situation like this, 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's because these two characters never worked on the relationship. Um, they're going to end up exploding and failing because of it. Yeah, um, I guess you could say when you said there isn't really much of a plot, I guess their motivations individually are, are um, Zendaya's character Marie is trying to find motivation to stay in the relationship, to stay with Malcolm. And then Malcolm is trying to figure out how to keep Marie in his life. And those are the, end up what being their two main goals at the end of the film. And like you said, they did end it ambiguously with that beautiful shot of the beach through the window. Yeah, and they're also trying to absolve themselves of responsibility for the destruction of the relationship. You know, they're trying to uh, place blame on the other over and over again and then um, reveal hidden things that they've been holding on to without revealing in the past to uh, absolve themselves of accountability and it's this back and forth. They keep doing the same thing of um, revealing something like, for example, Malcolm reveals that the character is only partially based on her. And he he lists off several other women from his past that he based uh, the character on. But she never knew that because he never told her. So he was always keeping that a secret and never mentioned it to her. And so things like that, the these build these little um, problems, they turn into growing resentments. And so the lack of communication, which is the number one thing to keep a relationship strong was obviously the cause of this whole mess. Yeah, and then she also reveals that she wanted to be cast in the film and and she didn't really audition for the role because she didn't think that Malcolm wanted her to be in the role because she wants to be an actress and uh, he clearly mentions that she's talented most, multiple times and she actually gives a, a fantastic like fake audition towards the end of the film, which I won't spoil it too much. And it's, it's kind of a terrifying scene, but it's a great way for her to show that she could have done the acting, if not better than the the actress in the film that portrays the character in, in Malcolm's movie. And it, again, it's like this back and forth power struggle of this conversation of kind of like who's who's the, the, got the upper hand in, in the relationship. And you're right, kind of just to get rid of your responsibility. Yeah, and this episode of Raiders of Lost podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Valentine's Day, it's here, fellas. Make sure you're ready for wherever that special night might take you. Our friends at Manscaped are the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming are here to tell you that you need to use the best tools for the job so you can be ready for anything on that special day. Two million men, two million men are trusting Manscaped products to groom and make sure you're one of them. We have their Lawnmower 3.0 Groomer. It is amazing. It's it's gentle to your skin. It's waterproof. It has a light on it. It's the best clippers, buzzers I've ever used in my entire life. Um, their weed whacker is great. We use their deodorizers, their deodorant, their their cleaning wipes, their briefs, their t-shirts. Kyle, their rep has sent us everything. So thank you so much for Manscaped. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Again, coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping year round. This is an amazing gift, amazing products. Get it ASAP. The thing with relationships is to some extent, in every situation, it's always to some extent, sometimes it's a big difference. Sometimes it's a very minuscule difference, but someone has a little more power over another person in a relationship. That's just the way it is. That's social dynamics at work. And I don't think two people are fully balanced in power. And with this relationship, Malcolm has had power over Marie the whole time. Um, and we learned that he helped her get clean and um, helped, helped pretty much save her life in a way. And she obviously helped him a lot as well, but uh, he he holds the, all the cards essentially, and she has been kind of been put to the wayside because of it because he's so obsessive about his work, and um, she reveals that he's uh, pretty emotionally stunted, but he 
in real life, but then he puts all of his emotions and feelings into his work. And she has just been over the last few years just putting up with him, hoping that he'll eventually open up and and allow more of her in the relationship, but it seems like that's never going to happen. Yeah, she says this great thing in the film where Marie tells Malcolm that when he knows someone loves him, that's when he starts to ignore them. And then it's not until he knows he's about to lose that person that he pays attention. So that's kind of what she's been wanting is for him to pay attention to him just because she made the mistake apparently of letting her him know that she loves him. And, and so, and then her threatening to leave gives her power back. And so that's why the power dynamic shifts when she threatens leaving. And that's why he loses his power. So then he becomes desperate to give her attention. And then also, there's there's so many great digs because, you know, when, when you're having an argument, with, whether even if it's not with someone in a romantic relationship, even like a person that you work with or a colleague or a friend and you're getting in a fight and an argument, you kind of have all these things that you've been building up inside. Yeah, and you've, so been, many, you've been having these fake a, arguments. A checklist. And, yeah, you've been having these fake fights in your head for years or months and, and then you bust it out. And I, I'm one of my favorite ones that um, Marie does on, on Malcolm is that she she's talking about how He's not a special filmmaker because without her, she he wouldn't have come up with this with this great character and this this great inspiration for the to continue the story, make the story better than he originally had it. And that now he's never going to have a new idea, an original idea. But then he kind of bounces that again, like you said, how she's not the only inspiration for the story or the character. Yeah, and the thing that's a great point because if you have a situation where you because they held on to all these things and harbored them. If you've ever been in situations like this, and I have, and I'm sure you have, yeah, like these kinds of long fights. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's not just one thing. It's all these things that have been building up. And, you know, when you're with someone, uh, they'll do things that you kind of like you don't like or you find annoying or you don't agree with, but you'll be like, it's fine. I love them. But then in a situation like this, when you're having a blowout, all of that comes out. So you start the fight on one topic then it goes to the oh this thing i don't like and then you did that and you did this six months ago and then it turns into everything and, th and then pretty much the entire relationship is under uh, the microscope which is what happens here in this film the, the entire thing is being fought over it's not just the the thank you the failure to say thank you it's yeah. the entire relationship and it kind of makes you realize or, or think that could this relationship ever be repaired because every single fight that they get in every argument every topic even though it seems to have some sort of a resolution in a way, at some point it gets turned around and starts a new fight about something different or something related to what they just ended up talking about. But that's actually so so realistic to to real life because you can you'll get into fights and arguments with someone uh, like your your significant other, but then like ten minutes later you you might just like joke about something. Yeah, because that's real. It's not like you guys gonna fight and you're mortal enemies from then on. It's like things that that's just like. How we how we talk and communicate like there's ups and downs and this film has ups and downs. It's like a roller coaster. It's it's really interesting how they did it. I think they really pulled off this uh, entire film in a really unique way, and I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a great movie. Definitely check it out on Netflix if you got it. I'm sure you do. Everyone has Netflix. And yeah. don't look at the critic reviews. Don't look at Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. It's all BS. This movie, it's great. It, it and it's. Um, again, like you said, the first movie to be written, directed, and completed during COVID-19 pandemic in the United States, which is very cool. Yeah. And then uh, Zendaya, I think, was really fantastic. I had never seen her in anything except for the Spider-Man movies because we were too old for her show, mm -hmm. um, the kids' show. But uh, she really pulled off this film, and uh, it was great to see her range in this because I had never seen Euphoria. And so I, I, I realized she has a lot of potential and she's definitely going to be a big star. She already is, but she'll, she's going to be an acting powerhouse over the next couple of decades. And she actually did her own hair and makeup in this movie mm -hmm. because it was very low budget and she wanted it to be as realistic as possible. So in a lot of the shots, she's not even wearing makeup and she did her own hair and all of the clothes are her own clothes that she picked out for the role. So she was very much involved in trying to make this portrayal seem as real to a person as possible and yet we have another project showing you showing us all how talented john david washington the great the son of the great denzel washington and and there's a cool connection between the story or reference where um malcolm refers to the critic who says he's the next spike lee uh john david washington plays malcolm he worked on spike lee's movie malcolm x he's a he's an extra in one of the scenes 
and also worked with uh, Spike Lee in Black Klansman. And his father, Denzel Washington, played Malcolm X in Spike Lee's movie, Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. So it's actually pretty cool. And one of my favorite parts of the script, it's like a brief little thing. It's uh, one of the conversations that M- Malcolm's going on in one of his rants when he reads a review. Um, as he's talking about how just because he's a black filmmaker who has a movie with a black lead actress, it doesn't mean his movie's about race. It's not about racism. But the media and critics will all spin it as a film about racism. And and it's, and it's I think what they're trying to say is a black director can't just make a movie and just be a director. It automatically has to get compared to other black directors and other black films about racism or, or similar topics. And Malcolm jokes about this with him being compared to Spike Lee and Barry Jenkins just because he's black. But why can't he just be compared to any other director that isn't black? Yeah, why can't he just be like the next Martin Scorsese or yeah. the next Stanley Kubrick? So... It's it's a great point that people I think are so afraid to actually talk about is because the media likes to politicize things and like just because Barry Jenkins makes a movie doesn't mean it's super political. He just wants to tell a story about a character. It doesn't mean he's Spike Lee. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, just because a black filmmaker makes a movie doesn't mean it. He's trying to say something about uh, politics or the system or the economy or the country. Sometimes you know filmmakers just they just want to tell a story because they like the story and. And sometimes they wrote it, sometimes they didn't. And I think that it was great that we see black actors say these things in a movie because I don't think people would take it very seriously if they were white actors. You know what I mean? Yeah. But to have John David Washington talk about how the media politicizes everything too too extremely, I think it was really refreshing to see in a movie. Yeah, so why can't the critics say that Malcolm is the next Scorsese? Yeah, exactly. But again, this is a great movie. Check it out as soon as you can if you if you like movies. And, and I know this is a Valentine's Day episode, but I think that it's important to showcase films that not, aren't just perfect endings and perfect love stories because that's what real life is like. Yeah. And the age difference between John David Washington and Zendaya is 12 years. Washington is 35 and Zendaya is 23. And this caused a lot of controversy when the film was in production. And then Zendaya... Uh, uh, spoke out against the criticism, criticism saying that uh, people aren't ready to see her as an adult. But I mean, she's by she's much older than eighteen. So she's a woman. She's a woman. Yeah. The Notebook was released in two thousand and four. It was directed by Nick Cassavetes, written by Jeremy Levin, based on the book by Nicholas Sparks, and adaptation by Jan Sardi. It's about a poor yet passionate young man who falls in love with a rich young woman, giving her a sense of freedom. But they are soon separated because of their social differences. This is, uh, like I said, the quintessential romance movie. It's, it checks all the boxes. It has forbidden love. <laughs> it has beautiful actors. <laughs> Attractive people. And it has a, a tragic but beautiful ending. And this was a, a huge breakout for both Gosling and McAdams. They're both shined in this. And um, I think Gosling still had like that baby face and he hadn't had any big, any big leading roles yet. Um, and then with this, this put him on the map in Hollywood. Um, Rachel McAdams had already done Mean Girls, I think. So she was already a pretty big deal. But uh, this, for both of them, was a big deal. And ironically, neither of them got along on set. And they were clashing and they were fighting constantly. And there was a point where um, they, the producers in Gosling almost had McAdams removed because it just wasn't working out. And then the producers got the two of them together. And they pretty much pulled the Malcolm and, and Marie and they just um, vented and yelled at each other and got it all out and um they ended up repairing their relationship and the film ended up working out and then ironically they dated for a few years after this film came out yeah uh which is pretty ironic and again ryan gosling is one of the best actors of his generation his career exploded after this he got like roles like half nelson which got him an oscar nomination fracture and then obviously he's one of the biggest stars on the planet for sure gosling has this knack of playing these like bohemian like poor yet passionate <laughs> artists or travelers sort of looking for like that path or partner in life he does this really well in blue valentine and most recently he plays this character in la la land a similar version but he can do the exact opposite as well and play a womanizer in crazy stupid love and rachel mcgavis or a robot yeah blade runner <laughs> <laughs> and also be in love with a doll in uh, lars and the real girl <laughs> so he's all over the place and then rachel mcadams very talented actress we've saw her amazing uh, performance in spotlight recently mm-hmm. um i think she's effectively charmed her way into everyone in america and in the world's hearts with all these she's been in a lot of romantic comedies a lot of romance family a lot of great comedies but, in general but, but not romantic comedy she's but more romance. romantic yeah. films yeah. yeah she's not doing the rom-coms like she's doing um like the time traveler's wife it's yeah. like a romantic epic you know gotcha. what i mean and the the vow the vow yeah and 
she's a very talented actor, and she I think she just exudes a, a great amount of natural charm, which I th- I, th- I would say like maybe this character is a lot like her in real life. Yeah, probably. Um, and she just she steals every scene she's in, and she and she's great as this like Southern belle, and classism has a lot to do with this film. It's one of the major themes and the biggest thing keeping keeping them apart because she comes from high class and and a wealthy family, and then uh, Gosling's Noah is kind of this like you know a scrub and he doesn't come from anything and he's just a, a local kid and her family don't want them together and there's something about a forbidden love that makes it a little bit more powerful like when forces are pulling uh, a relationship apart um then that makes it more I, I feel like the audience gets more invested for them to find a way to be together yeah this is like that classic movie love story decision which we see in titanic as well that a lot of uh female characters have had in Hollywood and in stories, which I'm not a huge fan of, but if like you're given the choice to follow your heart with this passionate person, this passionate man who doesn't have a nickel to his name or or a plan for his life, or make you know the safe decision that your family wants you to make with with this financially successful man, this respectable law, respectable lawyer, um, whose path is already set, and I'm sure you'll you'll live a comfortable life and. And then I get both decisions. You know, if I was given the choice between two women, one like Gosling's character, Noah, and one like Marsden's character, Lon, I could see the appeal to both decisions. Do I choose the woman who will help make my life potentially more exciting and passionate but could still lead to unhappiness? Or do I choose the woman who could make my life more comfortable and be my, my sugar mama? Just kidding. And secure <laughs> and laid out and may, maybe... Maybe I never find happiness that way, though. So it's a tough decision, pros and cons to each one. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast is sponsored by MoviePosters.com. Use our special coupon code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. Don't go to Amazon.com. Go to MoviePosters.com to get your posters today. If you love movies and TV shows as much as us, what better way to express that love than to get posters for your home, for your bedroom? Decorate those walls. If you see our, our show on YouTube, which I hope you're watching, you can see all these awesome posters that MoviePosters.com sent us. These are high quality. The printing is the best you can do. They have every size. Every, you can do framing, backlighting, glass, whatever you want. MoviePosters.com has you covered. Use our special coupon code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. Again, Raiders15 to get 15% off at MoviePosters.com. Yeah, and it's something that you can see, a theme you see a lot in rom in rom-coms, choosing between, like, uh, the the handsome guy who's got, like, nothing, uh, doesn't have a scent to his name, or, like, the very successful um, boyfriend that the lead actress always has. And, ironically, a film from the 60s actually completely reversed this idea, uh, The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman, mm-hmm. where the it's got an amazing ending where... He goes to, um, um, I can't remember her name, the, the girl's wedding, and he stops the wedding. It's like the first instance of a, of a man stopping a woman's wedding because he's in love with her. And they both run away. Uh, they, they escape the wedding together, and they get on a bus, and they sit on the back of the bus. At first, they were very happy when they got on the bus, and it was like, oh, that was so exciting. Like, this is an adventurous, and we can finally be together, and it's all going to work out, and things are great. And then uh, the camera just holds on them for another minute, and... After about 30 seconds, you can see their faces kind of drop and uh, they go from smiling to uh, being pretty serious. And you can see in on their faces that they're thinking like, oh, shit, did we just make a mistake? Like, what are we doing? And so it kind of like plays with the idea that, you know, it doesn't, it's not always a happy ending. I love that you brought The Graduate because I've had several conversations with people about The Graduate and how they misinterpret the ending of The Graduate. It's not a happy ending. Yeah. They are not happy that they ran off together because you can tell that they immediately regret their decision after as soon as the camera keeps rolling for like a, another minute. So yeah. it's so funny. And, it, you know, it reminds me of, of The Notebook because I think the first time you watch The Notebook, you're kind of enchanted by it and it's it's beautiful. It's emotional. You'll cry. You'll laugh. It'll, it'll tear you apart. But then like... The more and more I watch it, I think I've seen it like four or five times. Every time I watch it, I think more how how toxic and volatile this relationship. Like, yeah, they fight a lot. Like they fight all the time. And I think that Noah, played by Gosling, I have a hot take on this guy. Noah is kind of nuts and borderline psychotic and obsessed with Allie in an unhealthy way. He does grand <laughs> gestures to win Allie's heart. Everyone listening, imagine if you broke up with a guy and then a few years later, he surprised you out of nowhere with the house that he built for you. And then imagine this guy also wrote you, so he writes 365 letters, a letter every day. Imagine a guy texts you, 
once a day for 365 <laughs> days and you don't respond. I know that his his letters were getting hid by by the mother, but still he didn't get a response. He's still texting you every day for 365 days. This guy also threatens to kill himself if she doesn't go on a date with him when he's hanging from the Ferris wheel with one hand. While she's on a date, they're also constantly, constantly fighting in this movie. And he lays down in the middle of the street. So, like, he has to keep up this act of grand gestures for the rest of their marriage, in my opinion. And borderline manipulate no he manipulates Ali throughout this entire film because he he acts like a child constantly in this movie like throwing these tantrums and because he just wants to get what he wants like like if Ryan Gosling wasn't so attractive you would not like this character Noah because <laughs> he's more interested in Ali being with him than he is with Ali's life and what Ali wants in her life because he just wants what he wants which is Ali that's that's a hot take right there. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> the, the texting is that that's pretty true. But did he build the house for her? I thought built he built the house it, by I hand. He built it just because he wanted to. And not only did he build a house for her, he built a house in the house that they almost had sex in years before. Yeah, yeah, yeah when it was abandoned. So he rebuilt it by yeah. hand for her. All right, that's he's he's a little nuts so for sure. But I would say my biggest problem with the movie, I, and I just think it's so ridiculous, is that he goes to war after um she moves away mm-hmm. he, and um. He goes to war with um, his friend Allie, who's I mean, his his friend. Um, what's his name? I can't remember. Played by Kevin Connolly, and like they're and they cut to them in the middle of the war, and they're like in the same company. And I found that like they're these guys, these childhood friends, they're not gonna be like so, so shoulder to shoulder in war. Like they're gonna be put in different places. You know what I mean? That part I found like a little unrealistic. Yeah, and the thing with uh, you, and this is similar to the Titanic, and you were talking about earlier with social class, where the family wants you to marry, wants Allie to marry James Marsden's character, who's played also by, very handsome. Who's I mean, Juan. <laughs> this guy is is very nice. He's yeah. he's a respectable he's, person. Uh, he's like, seems like a perfect guy. He is the perfect guy. Yeah. And the thing about him, he's not trying to convince Allie that she needs to be with him, whereas. Where I think Noah is so insecure and so needy, he spends the entire movie trying for years trying to convince Allie to be with him because he needs Allie to be happy, which is so needy. Whereas Lon, he says, I don't. He says a line like, "I don't need to convince my fiance to be with me. If she doesn't want yeah. to be with me, she doesn't want to be with me." He's this, such a grown up about it. He's he's the only mature person between the two guys. <laughs> like I don't get how she didn't pick Lon. I would have picked Lon. Like what a guy. He's a he's a su- successful lawyer. Like jeez, like, and a great guy. Seems really nice. They, they should they should have made him a little bit more villainous, like yeah. Billy Zane in Titanic. Yeah, I think I it would have worked and better. I, I, I've read in the book that the the character Noah is even more toxic. Oh wow, and like, more weird. But I mean, look at that face. I know exactly. I'm <laughs> What's just, he shaved? That's what I'm saying. If if Gosling wasn't in the role, man. Well, you... I, ironically, the director Cassavetes hired him because he didn't think he was handsome. So he wanted an actor who was unknown and also wasn't very uh, traditionally handsome. And ironically, people consider Ryan Gosling the most handsome person alive. <laughs> Yeah, but this film also, besides the love story, we, it deals with a terrible tragedy of of an elderly person. Um, eventually, Allie, when she grows up, um, suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia. I don't think they specify which one. And it's a tragedy to watch this woman who can't recognize her husband, her children, or her grandchildren again. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of us have experienced something like with that in our own personal lives. And it's even more heartbreaking that, you know, at this point, I, this is a part I like Noah. He plays Duke, the guy in the beginning telling the story. He won't give up on her still, which is, it's really endearing. Still and, obsessed. Yeah, still, maybe it is a little creepy <laughs> obsessed, but he still loves her as much as he did in her youth. And even more tragic, Noah, he has like that heart attack, right? And he's yeah, dying. Yeah, yeah. And they die, they die together. Yeah, but each she, other's he arms. gets pushed away in a stretcher and she doesn't even recognize who it is. Yeah. She's like, who's that man getting, who's about, about to die? It's really sad. Yeah, but then they do die. They die in each other's arms mm-hmm. in the in the hospital bed at the end. And it, but it's also a good twist because you don't you think that it's just an elderly couple reading a novel. Mm-hmm. You think the man's just reading a novel to um, this woman that he, you assume because they they don't tell us it, it's the best part about the movie is we just think he's also a patient there and is just being nice to this um, woman with dementia. But then it, there's that great twist at the end where we find out that he's reading their life story and they're a married couple and um, they have that he tries to have that dinner with her um, and then she has that um, that freak out and. Um, she kind of loses control of her senses, and it's it, that's I think the most tragic part of the film is when after they have that a nice dinner, and then she's just she just flips out, and she has to get um, taken away by the hospital um, personnel, and and kind of tranquilized, and it, you can see like the despair in his face, and that that I think that always gets me like it, that. This is a very tragic movie. Yeah, it's very sad. You will cry. Yeah, if you don't cry, you're not a human. Yeah, exactly. And uh, to film the famous boat ride scene, 
with those like hundreds and hundreds of ducks everywhere. Um, or are they geese? Yeah, they're ducks. Do- geese. They're swans. Something that flies. Something, something that sl- hovers on top of the water and, and floats. <laughs> Duck paddles. Uh, Director Cassavetes purchased hundreds of hatchlings and had someone feed them at that pond or lake um, every day for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that way the ducks would always be there when it's time to eat. And that's why they felt safe and hungry and were hanging out with this boat. Very smart. Clever. He, come, he comes from a, a, a line of Hollywood filmmakers, so it makes sense. Um, he's related to John Cassavetes, the filmmaker. And his mom's actually Gina Rowland, who plays the elder, elderly Alley. Oh, no way. Yeah, the director. Yeah, it's, it's Hollywood royalty, the Cassavetes family. And um, uh, to prep for this role, Ryan Gosling prepared by living in Charleston well before filming began. And for two months, he, he rode at the Ashley River every morning and built furniture by hand every single day. And he even built the kitchen table featured in the movie. I wonder if he stalked a woman at the same time, <laughs> just like Noah in the movie. All right, stalk a girl for a year. I'm sure a lot of women would not mind Ryan Gosling stalking them. That's why I think yeah. Allie's okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that face. But also, it's like, it's his first lead role. I mean, he took it very seriously. No, no. Yeah, yeah no, no. Yeah, yeah. I'm not making fun of Gosling. I'll never will. I love that guy. Better not. The Notebook is, uh, it's, every, it's a great movie. Even if it has, I enjoy it's, it. It's, I enjoy even it. if it has its flaws, but you put the notebook on, you're like, I want romance and I want to cry. You expect those things to happen, and it happens every time. Yeah, I roasted out of love, <laughs> and the character is creepy. <laughs> She's no saint either. I mean, Ellie's yeah. got flaws as well. Yeah. She just hey, starts, everyone's flawed. She starts wailing on him multiple yeah. times in this movie. No, like no, open perfect. hand, open hand slaps. Hey, if that's what they're into, man. <laughs> <laughs> All they do is fight, though. But anyways, let's move on to Titanic, which came out in 1997. Written and directed by James Cameron, a 17-year-old aristocrat, falls in love with a kind but poor artist. Does this sound familiar? About the luxury <laughs> aboard the luxurious, ill-fated Titanic. Another forbidden love story. Exactly. Another social class story too. But Titanic was it was such a monumental film, in in the size of it and also the success of it. Because I remember when it came out, and we went to see it in theaters, and we went to I think it was Showcase Cinemas in in Woburn. Woburn in Massachusetts, and then Landmark yeah. in Waltham too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the the cinema we went to that I had a bunch of screens. It had like twenty screens, and they were playing it on like I think half of the screens there. And you could see in the lobby just lines stretching from each screen for people waiting to get in because everyone was just so excited to see this movie. And it was such a juggernaut at the box office. Titanic was the number one movie at the box office for fifteen consecutive weekends. That's insane. So fifteen weekends in a row, it was number one, and it. Almost broke the record, but it was one week short. E.T. was uh, the, it still holds the streak. It was the number one film for 16 weeks in a row. And was it the most successful film ever when it came At out? At the time. It, was a, it made $1.7 billion, and no movie had ever come close to that. And that's saying a lot because this is before superheroes, really. This is before franchises. So, like, this was a billion-plus-dollar movie without yeah. all that, which is insane. And it was 1997, so that's, yeah. that's nuts. And, again, this is a movie that deserves maybe even an entire episode. There's so much to talk about, so much to tackle there's so much to analyze and not just the the story and the acting but the filmmaking of this film is incredible but in this episode we're just gonna it's the romance episode so we're just gonna mostly talk about the characters and the story basically between the two uh forbidden love and because but real quick i mean james cameron is an exceptional director he's very ambitious He's also a great writer, which you learned, I think, in Titanic Showcase. Dude, he wrote that. Terminator. Yeah, because uh, that's exactly. <laughs> he goes from jumping from future robot assassins to one of the greatest love stories ever put on the big screen. So the guy is a great writer as well, and a uh, diverse writer too. And um, we all know Titanic propelled Leonardo DiCaprio into an absurd level of fame. He became, uh, the, I think, the most famous actor since maybe... Like, I don't know, like Mar- Marlon Brando or something. Yeah, and you really can't compare him to anything today because this is before smartphones and social media because, I mean, there I guess are a thousand say, celebrities you now. You could probably say Harry Styles in a way is similar, but, like, that's not even close to what Leo was like. No, because, like, we don't really know stuff. We don't, like, ingest Harry Styles media, but, like, everyone, everyone saw Titanic. You know what I mean? Every single person saw it. Mm-hmm. So everyone saw Leo, and he actually beat out um, Ethan Hawke. And Paul Rudd for this role. And McConaughey. And McConaughey. I would have seen Ethan Hawke in this role. That would work real well. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the same age. They have similar looks. And they have... They have Ethan Hawke's an extremely talented, underrated actor. Yeah. Like he could have definitely pulled it off. But the thing with Leo is... I mean, I think filmmakers realize even at such a young age, he has... He just had immense talent. And he can do anything. And, in, yeah. And it's, there's nothing Leo can't pull off. And obviously, we've, we've discovered that over the last 
um, 25 years since this movie came out. And um, I think the whole world fell in love with him. And he has it. Whatever yeah. it is, he has that to an extreme. Yeah. Like the likability, the charisma, the charm, just the the magnetism on screen. Leo has that. And also, Kate Winslet was a very unknown actor at this time. She um, had worked with uh, Guillermo del Toro on his one of his early horror films, but otherwise she hadn't had much work before. And I think that I think Kate Winslet is an extremely beautiful woman. I, I think she's she, she's stunning, but uh, she get, there was a lot of press about her not being like a traditional beauty um, when she was cast in this role. And I think that it was just the media used to be so mean. And it was just ridiculous, the stories that we could run about her, um, about her looks and about her figure. And I think that, obviously, that kind of thing doesn't really happen anymore. But I think that she faced a lot of criticism because of her body and her and her looks unfairly because I think she is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and she's perfect as Rose. And Rose, just like Allie in The Notebook, has to make that same exact decision, basically. Uh, choose between this respectable wealthy fiance or the poor passionate bohemian but she has a lot more drive for yeah it. well the thing with her is her family is depending on her to marry um cal hockley who is a hateful guy he's an elitist but he's he's an absolute d he's definitely like a, a like a malfoy yeah you know what so i mean he's that's like what he a, reminds me of he's like a villain whereas lon in the other in the notebook is actually a very nice guy but his her mother rose's mother wants them to get married because they have run out of money. They're like a former... Her so father passed away yeah, and they've so, run out. Yes, yeah, so they've run out of money and they want to keep their aristocratic lifestyle and their high society lifestyle, so they want her to marry him. And it's not so much they want to keep this lifestyle, it's that they have no way of making money if this marriage doesn't end up happening. Because they come from old money, but their family's money and their family's name is almost... It means almost nothing now. So they, they are... She's like, Rose is doing this not just for her, but because she wants she doesn't want her mother... To have to find some horrible job like in a factory or something because we're talking about the early 1900s here she would like they would have had to work like in canning factories and this is an opportunity where they don't have to do that so obviously rose has a lot of motivation to stay with this man even though there's no love there and she feel but she feels trapped and you can tell in the first few scenes you can see see it in her eyes and the way she speaks to her fiance and and then also when she tries to commit suicide by jumping, yeah. jumping off the Titanic. Yeah, yeah that's a little thing. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, that, that's thing. a minor thing that shows you that she's not happy. Yeah. And then Jack is probably the, the most dreamy character ever put on screen before <laughs> because he always knows the right things to say. He's incredibly talented. He's an artist. He's passionate. He's a very good person and he has a good heart. Yeah. And Jack's only flaws his severe poverty. He has, literally has no money. The only reason why he's on the Titanic is because he got lucky in a poker game and won a ticket. Yeah, and, and the, the, these two, it's like... The, they're the star-crossed lovers routine, but also the forbidden love as well, and classism plays a lot into it. So I think that Cameron put a lot of depth and a lot of layers into this relationship. Into this relationship, and also it's it's very fun. They have so they have so much chemistry, mm -hmm. and you see it again in Revolutionary Road where they played a married couple. But but uh, Kate Winslet and, and DiCaprio, uh, they are so magnetic on screen. I think they could be the the most believable couple on screen in history. They're just so great together. And it, it translates into real life because apparently they're extremely close friends in real life and support each other and still communicate daily. So I think that uh, this this film uh, not only sparked a great film relationship, but a real, a real life relationship for sure. Yeah, and ironically, great love portrayed on screen. It only lasts a couple of days. And uh, just like how the Titanic, I think it only took two and a half hours from when it hit the iceberg to actually sink. James Cameron spends the it's 192 minutes I think the entire the runtime he spends the first two and a half hours of that basically putting you in the lives of these characters creating this love creating these emotions and taking you on this ride of these lives which and then the final act of the film how tragically and quickly it ends yeah and the romance in this is some of the best there is like there are so many iconic scenes in this movie like when they go like they have that aristocratic dinner and and Jack Jack's, gets turned down Jack is trying to fit in and gets turned down but then he takes her to that dancing room in, in the bottom of the boat and it's so much fun and then they then they um get down dirty in that car and <laughs> the it's carriage the, it's in the carriage and it's that the sweaty glass and then it's the palm print <laughs> <laughs> so iconic and then Celine Dion's song um what is that? I will love will, I will always go on or something I can't remember but Celine Dion's song I will always love you I will on. always love you it it makes the movie in a lot of ways and it becomes the the, the musical melody of their romance. Yeah, that song was a massive hit because of this movie, yeah. big time. And, you know, we have this great love, but it's, I like to debate in my head, like, were they in love or were they in lust? I mean, 
I like love takes a lot of commitment and in like a lot of uh yeah and a lot point. time to develop and yeah. you know you have to respect each other and, and build that and, and then and also you get to think like Rose this is uh, her fiance is probably the only man she's ever been with yeah yeah and I mean when you're young and you're a teenager you think you're in love like so fast when you really don't understand that you maybe and plus not, Leo's face is like yeah, oh I mean, shit <laughs> I mean who's not in love with Leo's face like geez but um. And also, I mean, you can think that if, if the Titanic never hit that iceberg, that family would still never let Rose be with Jack, I don't think. It probably never would have worked out. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. And that's maybe why, maybe that's why Rose decides to not take the lifeboat and get away safely and stays with Jack on the Titanic when it's crashing and, and sinking. Maybe that's why J- Rose decides to, if the ship's going to go down, if Jack's going to die and drown, I'm going to die and drown with him. Or you know what? Maybe it would have worked out because she did make that sacrifice and that decision to abandon her family to be with him. I True. think it's it's not that she didn't choose to die with him. She chose to be with him no matter what. You know what I mean? And just be by his side, whatever whatever happened. And then that's, yeah, you could bounce off that. And then even after she's rescued, she changes her last name to take his last name. Yeah. So, oh I mean, god, I yeah, I'm, get, oh, I'm getting emotional already. Oh, my god. That's such a sad ending. Yeah. Oh, my god. But the last, the last hour of this movie is just, it's some, it's some of the most heart-pounding cinema ever made. Like, it's just this like nonstop obstacle course of these two trying to she's trying to free him from uh, the handcuffs and the water's pouring up and it's just it's um like what James Cameron did is absolutely unbelievable out like it takes a rare kind of person to be able to like convince studios to let you do these kinds of things and they were obviously they were not happy with what was happening on set and he just kept fighting against them and like sticking to his guns and he eventually got this made but this film cost 200 million dollars it costs more than it costs to build the Titanic. The Titanic cost $150 million to build, and this film cost $200 million to make. Yeah, and I think he put he had to put up his own salary into the film, too. He didn't get paid. Yeah, yeah. but I think he made back end and made bank, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, became, he put his money into it to become a, uh, and became a producer and got gross, which, yeah. which is a good decision, but... I mean, well, I want to talk about this movie in a different episode and go over like just the the filmmaking process of this movie because, like you said, the production was intense and insane. I mean, we're, we're talking about flooding these giant studios and all these sets and elaborate film uh, wardrobe and in the uh, millions of gallons of water, tons yeah. of effects, practical, all practical effects, almost. The the tank they shot the final act in it was three hundred fifty gallon, three hundred fifty thousand gallons. Plus, they made miniatures of the Titanic to like make it. Uh, sinking which is it's yeah. such a cool production it's mind-blowing well you know what's so crazy about the titanic itself is that um so the the first class that she stays in rose the first class rooms one of those rooms on the titanic at the time it cost four thousand three hundred and fifty dollars in today's that, dollars no no at that time which is the equivalent for inflation today of seventy five thousand dollars for the entire ride, yeah, that's insane. Isn't that nuts? That's that's the thing that people may may not understand how wealthy the people in first class of the Titanic were. This is we're talking one percent. That's what the ship was built for. It was built for transporting the wealthy from A to B, and then there were just a bunch of cabins on the bottom that they were able to fill out. And so that's it. Was, the The Titanic was built for luxury and for the luxurious. And if you see photos of the Titanic, it is a beautiful ship on the in, the interior. They did a great job uh, replicating it, and it's it's a phenomenal ship. And it's a great tragedy because not only of this love story, this fictional love story, but also because it really happened. Yeah, the, the sinking and the crash into the iceberg. Yeah. yeah, it was an incredible film and a tragic story. And James Cameron obviously made one of the craziest, most successful films of all time. And I promise we will talk about it way more in depth some other episode, but this is Valentine's Day, so let's move on to our final film of the episode, which is Silver Linings Playbook, which came out in 2012, written and directed by David O. Russell. After a stint in a mental institution, former teacher Pat Solitano moves back in with his parents and tries to reconcile with his ex-wife. Things get more challenging when Pat meets Tiffany, a mysterious girl with problems of her own. I adore this movie. It's one of my favorite movies of the last decade. I, I, no matter how many times I watch it, I just I think it's so great. And David O. Russell, he really uh, revolutionized his career. He had be, the last great film he made was Three Kings, which was in 2003. So it had been a long time since he made a good movie. And his career was kind of in flux at the moment. Um, he got a lot of bad press and stuff. So uh, I think he, he needed something like this. And you could argue David O. Russell could have had probably the greatest, one of the greatest three-year runs of any filmmaker because within three years, David O. Russell made The Fighter, Silver Lines Playbook, and American Hustle. So an amazing three years of filmmaking. And he just 
catapulted himself onto the scene as one of the greatest filmmakers in America. Yeah, I love his style because he's so focused on characters. That's that's, that's all it is. Yeah, there are yeah. other filmmakers. Yeah, they, they focus on characters too. But I mean, he makes such interesting and unique characters that you maybe have see people on screen you've never seen before. You can recognize someone like this in your real life that really exists. And I think that's one of the strengths of this movie, of course, is uh, both Jennifer Lawrence and um, Bradley. Bradley Cooper playing Pat and Tiffany very interesting characters and, and they're incredibly unique and charming but also have they're they're full of problems and issues and they both suffer from mental health issues and i think that's a, a great theme to talk about in society and to have that brought up in this film as well i think yeah i think this is the first major hollywood depiction of bipolar disorder it for a lead character two lead characters yeah so you don't, i think she has personality oh, yeah. disorder oh, i think she oh, she's not diagnosed oh, yeah, in the sorry. film, but it, it's personality she has a yeah, depression probably yeah. antisocial disorder something like yeah, that. yeah stuff like that but he's he's straight up bipolar and it's it's a great depiction of these illnesses because they're so so nuanced these mental illnesses there's they're very complex and there are so many subtleties that go into the the kind of the behavior of these kinds of people who suffer from these problems and usually mental illnesses what we usually see in film is addiction that's kind of mostly it you know what i mean or kind of like a oversimplified version of like schizophrenia yeah, or something yeah, like you that you don't see like they're those are very extreme in black and white you know what i mean but a mental illness like bipolar disorder, it's hard to define and it's complicated to depict. And they did a, a fantastic job with this because we we have experience with, with people with bipolar disorder in our life. And I feel like they did such a great, accurate portrayal of the mental illness. Uh, and Bradley Cooper showed so much talent that you had never seen before. He always had so much potential because you could see in The Hangover, like he's so good in The Hangover, but it's mostly comedy. And he had been in supporting roles before, but this was his... His first big lead, oh, we know with Limitless. Limitless was his first big yeah, lead, yeah, and yeah. he crushed that. And but then this he, was to show how talented he is. Yeah, and this one, it, you saw this. You saw Bradley Cooper in this movie, and you're like, holy shit, this guy can act. And the same thing happened with Jennifer Lawrence because she was in The Hunger Games and big, huge hits. And yeah, she's a very good actor. But when you saw her in Silver Linings Playbook playing Tiffany, you're like, this is an amazing character. On the page, I'm sure it was much less than what she did on screen. And it showed her immense talent. And I think Jennifer Lawrence is, you could say, is the most talented actor of her generation. I think she has a limitless uh, ability as an actor. True, but she also was nominated for an Oscar for Winter's Bone before this. So she was critically acclaimed, but Bradley wasn't really at that time. Mm -hmm. And so the film follows Pat, who's coming off this stint at a mental institution after having a mental breakdown when he finds his wife in the shower with a colleague from his job at a school. Um, and it's so interesting to watch how his family's both welcoming and hesitant to have him come home and live with them. And um, his father has sort of demoted him as a son by taking his portrait off the wall. <laughs> and and one of the one of my favorite parts of this movie is yes, yes, it's about this this love relationship developing between Pat and Tiffany. But also, you find out later on that one of the major uh, relationships in the film is Pat and his father. And his father, we learn, has a lot of these same mental health issues as. Pat does, but or he disguises them. But yeah, but he's been hiding it his whole life, or he's been saying he doesn't have it, or he's been in denial. I mean, uh, he has OCD. He has severe superstition when it comes to the Eagles games. Uh, he also probably has bipolar disorder because it runs in the family that you get in fights at Eagle games and get kicked out of the stadium, which his father did too. Yeah, so he's actually, his father's banned from the stadium because of all the fights he had gotten into. So it's, and this film, I think it so accurately shows how people who don't understand or accept mental illness how they can judge people who suffer from these illnesses. So his father judges Pat thinking like, he, like not taking the illness seriously. You know what I mean? And, and he's a, a very much a hypocrite because he, like you said, he suffers from the same problems, but I don't think pe- like his, his mom takes it very seriously, but I don't think his father takes it as seriously as he should. Because I don't think he wants to admit that he's just like him, just yeah. like Pat. Yeah. So there's the family dynamics in this movie, I think are what make the film. Because this family, it feels so real, and like you said about David O. Russell and how he, he his he, his actors are always giving such authentic performances, he he manages to always tap into actors to to give such true realistic performances. And one of the reasons for that is is his directing style is he's very um, unfiltered, and he's not afraid to to tell his actors that sucked. Or what are you doing? Like he's not afraid to. He doesn't sugarcoat when he directs. And actors, I like at first they become they're a little like uh, 
it's a little anxiety inducing at first and can be frustrating, but then they learn that he's getting the best out of me by drilling me so hard and by being very judgmental of the acting. And then he, he can get them to craft these incredible performances because you can't argue just in those three movies alone, how many Oscar nominations are there? There's got to be like eight just in three movies. So he, he has an innate ability to really help actors get to where they need to be. And plus, I love and adore the way he films like conversations and discourse and like he'll take the camera. It's just like a wide angle lens, like handheld. You're in these conversations with these people. You feel like you're in the room with them because he's just taking you through the room and you hear there's a conversation over there, but you can hear that just as loud as the, the conversation on screen, like right in front of the camera and everyone's loud because that's what it's really like when you're in a house full of people and with when you're with your family and the football chaotic. And the game's on. And yeah. yeah, it's chaos and you're screaming. And they're, they're screaming over there. They're louder than you. And so he really brings that realism so well to, to, to a film. And in terms of the relationship itself between Pat and Tiffany, I think it's it's easily one of my favorite romances because it's so untraditional and it's so against type because it doesn't, they don't think it's happening. You know what I mean? They both, both of these people, they need each other, but they don't even realize it. And they, at first they, they're using each other. So Tiffany's using Pat to help with her dance so that she can compete in the contest. And then Pat is using Tiffany as a way to show his ex-wife that he is uh, recovered and become and become a more sane person. So they're both they both are using each other for different objectives for their own personal goals. But what ends up happening is they they unknowingly need each other and are falling in love, and their bonding is the best thing for them to get through both of their mental illnesses. Yeah, I think Nikki's the the first. I mean. And I think Tiffany's the first one to realize that there are real emotional feelings de- developing between the two because she eventually, um, she starts using that leverage of the dance to obviously get him to dance with her, but th- the leverage of the communication with Nikki to yeah, get the to letters. Dance. Yeah. And then also she is enjoying getting closer to Pat. And when, if, when she finds out that it's coming to an end, she's kind of sad about it at the end. And she, she thinks that uh, Pat's going to choose Nikki over her. Yeah, but ultimately, like, that's what is, it's very romantic where Pat had written that letter to her professing his love, but she didn't even want to read it because she thought that he was just going to do the dance with her and then that would be it because Nikki came to the, the competition and, and she, so she became very insecure about that. And it's not just, it's not like a typical rom-com climax and it's kind of like things just kind of unfold and it's, it's not perfectly structured and it feels like it's on the fly which real life is you know what i mean yeah like when he chases after her after the dance is yeah. over and, and reads the letter to her while she's crying and it's really emotional and i love the way it ends too where it's just like kind of just like a happy sunday at the house and, and everything's it's great and they're gonna obviously it's not gonna be a perfect relationship but they seem happy for the first time in their lives yeah this movie essentially is about two dysfunctional people who who find each other and they fit together well because they're kind of outcasts uh, in terms of being around other people. Like there's that moment when they have the dinner and they first meet and they're talking about the medications they've had. Yeah. And it's just so funny. And the other people at the dinner table are like, what the hell? Like, what are they talking about? So they 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 suit each other perfectly. Yeah, and David O. Russell comes up with such interesting and fun scenes, like like you like that dinner scene with the medication, but also like he's wearing the Eagles jersey there, and then like waking his parents <laughs> up at four a.m. screaming about Hemingway because he was unhappy with how that ended. But again, this is a glimpse at, like you said, how do you portray bipolar disorder so well on well on camera or in a book or in a story? And that's a great way to do it is with, with scenes like that. Yeah, and it, this is actually a very personal film to O. Russell because his own son actually suffers from bipolar and OCD. And so I think it was he was very passionate about this film, and I think that's why he put so much effort into it. And we have amazing supporting cast roles from Chris Tucker playing his friend Danny, great, who's also yeah. in the mental institution, and then um, Dr. Cliff Patel played by <laughs> Andrew Pamkar. It's so like, funny. I love this character because it starts off as like the stereotype of like the Indian doctor immigrant, but then it turns. They David also flips it on its head where he's a giant uh, fan of the Eagles too, and he's got like his, his body gr- paint, yeah, yeah, body and face painted green. So it's like he kind of takes the stereotype and flips it on its head because he's completely Americanized. That's what this movie is: is taking the romantic comedy genre and just doing something completely new and fresh with it. And that's why I love this movie so much. And I think it's hands down one of the best acted movies this century. It's unbelievable. The the, the entire ensemble is 
absolutely fantastic. And Jackie Weaver, we got we yeah, got shout her great. out. She's so good in this movie. Yeah, she's unbelievable. And um, I think this movie also revitalized Robert De Niro's career because he had been in so many, you know, those like cheesy action movies and cop movies, and you know, just making those paychecks, which is nothing wrong with that. But then. Uh, he got Oscar nominated for this film, and he really brought it this time. And you kind of you're like, oh shit, yeah, that is Robert De Niro. Yeah, because you're right. I mean, De Niro, we've been we've been living with this guy in our entire lives in all of his movies, and you're in you know those early two thousands, he wasn't doing that many interesting roles, and then this one just knocked you back with how you forgot how charming the guy is, and how good at acting he is, and he's one of the best ever. And again, again, as much as it is about that love story between Pat and Tiffany, a lot of it is also about. Pat and his father trying to come to terms with their relationship and how Pat's father needs to realize that the apple didn't fall very far from the tree. Yeah, 100%. And I, I adore this movie. I think if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. And that concludes our Valentine's Day relationship romance episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Some of these movies we're definitely going to touch on again at some point, like Titanic. Silver Linings definitely deserve to have longer, more in-depth episodes because they're such phenomenal films. Malcolm and Marie was so good. Check it out on Netflix. And The Notebook, it's classic. you got to watch it ASAP for your, for your Valentine's Day evening. Hey, everyone, good luck on Valentine's Day. And have a lovely... If you don't have a date on Valentine's Day, who cares? Live your life. Yeah. Live your best life. Get a pizza. You don't, need, you don't need anybody else. You're single, independent, and powerful. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> Bye. Take care. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost podcast. Hit that subscribe button and notification bell. Listen to the audio formats of Raiders of the Lost podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast.